I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Peter Lima on the show today to discuss his new book, Sherry, Manzanilla, and Mantilla, and his recent Sherry Fest events in New York City. Peter Lima on the show today to discuss his new book, Sherry, Manzanilla, and Mantilla, as well as some of the events he's been organizing around New York City to promote Sherry in general. Hey, Peter. Hey, Levy. How are you? Nice to see you, sir. You too. So you just got done with a book. I did, yes. It's finally out. Uh, it's been a project that's been, you know, about a year and a half in the works, and I'm very happy to have it released now. Congratulations. Thank you. So, uh, I mean, outside of it being about the fortified wine from southern Spain, I mean, what's the book? How's it, how's it go? <laughs> well, it's a, uh, it's a complete introduction to Sherry. Mm-hmm. I think um, I really wanted it to be a book that, that wasn't too daunting for, uh, you know, for the absolute novice. Um, but Like someone like me. I mean. Well, you know, I, it, I, I think it's a book where, where, you know, even if you've never drunk Sherry before, you can, you know, you, you can understand it and, and you can get something out of it. But at the same time, you know, the, um, for people who are experienced with Sherry, I, I wanted them to, uh, you know, to be excited about it and, and to even maybe find something new. So how would you introduce Sherry to someone who didn't know it well? I mean, what are we talking about here? Well, uh, you know, it's true that Sherry has been a little bit marginalized in, in recent decades. Um, it's experiencing a tremendous resurgence now, uh, particularly in cities like New York. And um, I think what I've found is that, you know, once people, I mean, the problem is that people have all these strange misconceptions, you know, uh, about Sherry. And, and for a good reason, you know, I mean, the, the popular image of Sherry has, has not been uh, entirely positive. But, um, you know, I think that once people get past that and and taste the wines for themselves, um, they're very pleasantly surprised. And particularly when they taste them with food, you know, as Sherry is intended to be drunk. What are some of those surprises and, and how does that play out at the table? Well, um, you know, for one thing, sherry is an, an incredibly complex wine. Um, it's a mature wine, uh, you know, uh, um, and so uh, you, you get this incredible array of flavors and, and uh, you know, this, this fantastic complexity that, and a particular set of flavors that, that goes very well with food. And um, this is because it's been aging in wood for several years before it's bottled and released. It's not like a lot of wines where it hasn't aged for that long and you cellar it. It's yes, already yes, aged. it's true. Yeah, yeah, it ages for a long time in in, in barrel. Um, you know, whether it ages under floor, uh, you know, as a fino or or not, uh, you know, as as an oloroso. Um, um, in either case, it, it's aged for many years in in barrel. Um, particularly in the case of, of floor aged wines like fino and manzanilla, um, you know, the floor imparts these wonderful uh, savory umami characters that uh, you know that that are terrific with all sorts of foods. Um, you know, last night, uh, you know, I just went to Tsukushi here in. in I love that and, place. Yeah, yeah. I had had brought a bottle of Labota Twenty Two Manzanilla. Sweet. It was unbelievable with with the food. You know. So I guess we should describe a couple of things because not only does no one know what Sushi is, <laughs> the restaurant in Midtown Man- Manhattan, where they have no real entrance or markings of any kind, and it's they serve Japanese food. But also, I, I mean, I guess people don't often know what floor is. So what is that? Yeah. So. Um, the way that sherry is made, it's, uh, you know, sherry is a white wine, like, like any other, really. Uh, that's how it starts its life. Um, and so, 
you know, it grows in, in the vineyards. Uh, it's it's in very chalky soil, and it uh, and so it, it creates a white wine of, of about uh, you know about twelve degrees. Um, it's made from the Palomino grape, and so um, once fermentation is over, um, you know, the cellar master really has a choice. Uh, he or she can, uh, you know, he, he or she will, will divide the the wines in, into two categories. Um, there are the ones that that show a particular finesse and elegance will be designated for fino. Uh, which is aged under floor. The ones that have a little bit more body and a little bit more power will be designated for Oloroso that isn't aged under floor. Now, floor is this peculiar yeast, uh, or it's a, it's a, a colony of yeast, really, um, that, that forms naturally on the wine. I mean, it, it, it appears very shortly after fermentation, uh, seven, seven to ten days, maybe. Um, and it, it, it lies on the surface of the wine in barrel, and it completely covers the, the, you know, the surface of the wine. So, um, floor needs a lot of oxygen to survive. So, um, you know, typically a sherry barrel is, is 600 liters in size. So it's quite large. Um, but, uh, it's, it's filled only to 500 liters. Oh, okay. So five, six capacity to allow for a lot of oxygen to be, to be present, uh, you know, to, to feed the growth of floor. One of the things though, is that because the floor forms a complete surface or a complete layer on, on the surface of, of, of the wine, it protects the wine from oxidation. So even though there's, there's quite a bit of, of eulage and, you know, headspace in, in the barrel, the wine uh, is, is not oxidized at all. Um, oh, okay. There's a popular conception that sherry is, is an oxidative wine or even an oxidized wine. And, and this is actually far from the truth, um, especially and particularly Fino and, and Manzanilla. Um, you know, when you taste these things from, from barrel, you're, you're really surprised at how reductive they really are because uh, the floor consumes every last bit of oxygen in the wine. Why do you think people throw around terms like oxidative for wines like this? <laughs> well, um, the floor, you know, gives a lot of... Um, a lot of flavors that you don't see in uh, in other wines. Um, there's a lot of things like acetaldehyde and um, and you know and there there are these like really savory umami flavors that uh-huh. that uh, you know that sort of I mean they they bear relationship to oxidative flavors that you might find in you know very mature wines you know that that are not aged on the floor. Oh, I see. So e- even though it's a very different thing, in a way there's some shared characteristics that can kind of set your mind in a in a in a in a path to thinking it's one when it's actually the opposite yeah, of that, perhaps, it's the other. Perhaps. You know, I, I think yeah, I think it's it's really um, you know, in in the past few decades, you know, wine drinkers haven't really been been accustomed to the flavors of sherry and and uh, now that people are learning more about it, I think that you know, we're able to to assess it, uh, you know, in, in a much more meaningful way. Why do you think that uh, the decline of interest in sherry happened? Because it used to be pretty popular, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Earlier, it did. it did. Yeah, you know, in in the mid twentieth century, uh, you know, in in the the years just after World War Two, uh, uh, you know, sherry was doing quite well. Um, I don't know. I mean, there there are a number of factors. I think that uh, certainly. In the 1970s, um, there was an incredible growth in the sherry industry uh, that was very rapid, and not necessarily for the best. Oh, okay. Um, there was a focus more on uh, you know on bulk mass-produced wines. Um, you know, quality was not necessarily the goal, and I think that 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 certainly hurt the industry, um, and and really transformed the industry and and uh, and, and you know contributed in, in many ways to its decline. I've been wondering too if um, you know if, if even later than this, uh, um, you know, like say say in the nineties, uh, um, you know, we we as as a wine drinking culture, particularly in this country, went very far towards a a fruit driven style of wine. Yeah, um, and and you know this became you know very prevalent and and you know I mean even today uh, you know we we think of wine in terms of fruit. Uh, you know maybe we've we've strayed away from the excesses that, that you know we we you know had 10 years ago but but still you know we, we think of wine wine as, as a fruit driven you know thing right and and um you know it's only until recently that uh that i think you know a sector of, of the wine drinking populace has begun to accept flavors that that aren't necessarily fruity you know more savory flavors more uh you know umami type flavors uh, and you know and in this arena there's there's no wine more profound than sherry right um, but I, I do wonder if, if maybe that, that whole trend towards fruit, uh, you know, sort of alienated sherry, you know, which I mean, sherry is a wine that has nothing to do with fruit, right? Or prim- primary fruit flavors. And, you know, uh, but, uh, but today I, I'm, I'm very excited about, uh, about, you know, this, this recent willingness to embrace sherry, you know, among, among the part of many wine consumers. 
And what was some of the sparks that kind of got that going again? I mean, uh, did something happen on a producer side or was it a customer thing? What what changed to make people's interest in Sherry sort of uh, more apparent? <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, I tend to think that it's really just exposure. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I think, well, you know, as wine drinkers, we're always looking for something new. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Sherry has been this kind of, you know, relatively unexplored corner of the wine world. Um, you know, one consequence of that is that uh, sherry has become extremely good value. You know, it's, I mean, you could almost say that, you know, there's no better value in the wine world than, than sherry. Um, you, you can get these, you know, even wines that, that are several decades old, you know, uh, cost a fraction of the price that, uh, you know, that comparable quality from other wine regions, you know, might, might you know, cost. So, um, so that's very attractive, uh, you know, particularly to, you know, consumers like me who have no money. <laughs> and, and so uh, I, I think that, that it, it makes it easy, you know, when, when you, um, you know, when, when you're interested in sherry, uh, it's very easy to explore. You know, if you're interested in Burgundy, well, you know, that's great, but good luck. You're going to read about it more than you're going to taste it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Whereas, you know, with sherry, most wines are, are pretty accessible. And there hasn't been a lot of literature, so it's mostly tasting. Yeah, yeah, um, it's true. Uh, and, you know, in recent years, uh, there, there has been, you know, on the part of importers uh, here in the States, uh, you know, there has been, um, um, you know, increasing interest and, and, uh, and better representation. You know, I mean, I think of people like, like Andre Tamers of De Maison Selections, you know, who has done a tremendous job with, with sherry across the country, bringing in small, you know, small houses and, and wines of excellent quality. And, you know, I mean, this, this, this uh, certainly has an impact on the market. But you talked about uh, sherry um producer climate that was really being driven by quantity and not quality and mass production, maybe highly filtered. Did something happen on a producer side where there was a, a change to more of a quality emphasis? Well, I do think that, you know, there have always been quality producers mm-hmm. and, and even, you know, even through, through the dark days of the seventies and eighties, uh, um, you know, there, there were still, you know, houses that made exceptional wines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and those houses, you know, in you know many of them are still around today and are, are start making wines better than ever. Um, you know, I think that uh, well, that, you know, there were a lot of, of uh, well, there, there were very large concerns like the the whole Rumasa Empire, uh, um, you know, who who really went into bankruptcy, uh, um, and many houses that have disappeared. Um, I think today, uh, you know, the 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 industry has shrunk so much that people realize. Quality is really the only way forward. Oh, is that true? I think so. I think so. Um, you know, certainly, uh, certainly today, some wines are still better than others, but you know that's normal. That happens in any wine region. Um, but but I think you know today, uh, uh, I, I must say that the Consejo Regulador, the the governing body of Sherry, uh, does an exceptional job in um, in maintaining standards of quality and and really trying. They to, do. Yeah, and, and trying to encourage you know producers to to increase their quality and and all this. So so um, you know the presence of the Consejo Regulador is really important for for the denomination. And, and, you know, when, when you talk to producers today, uh, um, you know, they, the, you know, the, the serious ones, uh, you know, you can really see um, that, that, that they, you know, that they're looking to maintain quality in their wines and looking to increase quality in their wines and always trying to, you know, trying, trying to push forward. And it seems like there's been some things created, like Jan Peterson has the Fernando de Castillo, which seems mm-hmm. kind of like a, a more recently created boutique producer of sherry yeah, are, are yeah. we seeing more small scale uh kind of at the fringes producers are making small amounts of a little bit a little bit um you know there uh so historically uh sherry has operated with a sort of three-tier system where you have the growers uh you know people uh, who grow the grapes and and own vines you have uh, in the middle you have almacenistas who are small warehouses or you know small small uh winemaking operations who um you know don't necessarily have the resources to uh to market the wines themselves but uh but they they sometimes they own vines sometimes they don't uh but they they make wine and they mature wine and then they sell it on to the shippers who you know the shippers are are the people who actually bottle and export the wine and so for a long time um um, you know this this uh, this system was very much in place. In 1997, the rules changed to allow um, to allow almacenistas uh, to allow many almacenistas to, to bottle their wine, and um, and so this this had a, had a really positive effect because then you know people like uh, like El Maestro Sierra, you know, or um, you know like like Gutierrez Colosia, um, you know these uh, you know people uh, um, 
are able to to now bottle their wine, and and we're seeing a, a much greater diversity of of you know sherry houses, and you know a lot of these people have have exceptional Soleras and and some very very old Soleras and very old wines, and and so um, you know I mean I think it's uh, as with any other wine region, it's tempting to think that smaller is better, mm-hmm. and you know and big big is bad. Mm-hmm. With sherry, I'm not sure that that's entirely true. I see. I think that uh, you know large houses. Um, you think of the largest houses, mm-hmm. you know, like the giants of the region, like uh, Gonzalez Bias mm-hmm. or or Barrio in in San Lucar. Um, you know, I mean, these these people make enormous quantities of wine, but then you look at their Soleras, and I think it's because of this vast scale that they have, they have so much material to work from and they have this, this amazing palette, you know, to, to, to work from. So they have some of the greatest Solaris in the region, you know, and, and the way that the Solaris system works, you know, I, I think, you know, sometimes with this kind of scale is, you know, where, where you, you, I mean, you, you produce a particular character of, of, of wine, you know, like, uh, you know, to achieve wines of, of, you know, this incredible depth and complexity and all that, uh, um, um, you know, sometimes you benefit from, you know, from, from this, uh, you know the, these from from having uh, you know these these large uh, you know these large operations, but uh, but at the same time I think it's really exciting to see to see smaller producers because um, these wines you know it's it's much like maybe champagne you know like grower champagne uh, how how you get wines that that have very intense personality and uh, and you know a very distinctive character and and that's exciting to see. Has there been a change in in terms of approach because I seem. Uh, to see more bottlings that aren't filtered, um, is that is that something that more producers are approaching now, or is that a return to something that used to be more common, or what is the story there? Um, I think that's definitely on the rise. Um, in in the past, uh, well, in in the past there were other things done to stabilize the wine. Uh, for for one thing, sherry was much higher alcohol in the past than than it is now. Even finos, um, you know, were like I mean, we're, we're talking like. 50s and 60s, right? Uh, um, Not percentage, but 1950s and yes, 1960s. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, you know, yeah, around the middle of the 20th century, uh, you know, Fino, you know, Fino was was uh, was quite a bit higher in alcohol than than it is today. Has that played into the ability now to pair sherry more with food at the table? I don't know. Um, you can argue both ways, uh-huh. but uh, you know, I mean, today, today, you know, Fino is is typically 15 percent. Yeah. Um, maybe. Because table wine's often sure. 14, 15 sure, percent yeah. now. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, it's not out it's of the It's not killing you. Yeah. yeah. No, true. Um, um, Fernando de Castilla's Fino Antique is notable for being 17 percent. Um, and, and it's the only one that, that, that I know of, you know, that, um, that's kind of this old fashioned, you know, Fino. Um, but, uh, but, you know, in the past, uh, this high alcohol served to stabilize the wine in, in bottle. Um, you know, once uh, you know, once people started doing like sterile filtration and you know this this sort of thing, uh, um, you know, I mean, we we were able to lower the alcohol to to fifteen, uh, but but then people are always a little bit hesitant, uh, um, you know, to to release unfiltered wines or lightly filtered. Oh, wines. is that true? Um, yeah, uh, you know, because they're they're afraid of shelf life. Um, you know, like like you know these these new Unrama bottlings, which are which are very lightly filtered. Um, you know, you always see these warnings on the back, you know, saying like consume within three months or four oh, months you do. or something. Yeah, you do. And, and I mean, this, you know, this is not something that I believe, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So some, sometime around, you know, like the seventies or eighties, uh, um, there began to be this, this, uh, this trend towards, towards viewing Manzanilla and Fino as, as a pale light wine. Oh, okay. Right? And, and really in barrel, uh, you know, it's not, uh, you know, a Fino in barrel, it's, I mean, it's mature wine, right? It's aged anywhere between three and seven years. Yeah, if you have a white burgundy that's aged seven years, it's sure. not pale. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, and think think of aging white burgundy in barrel for seven years, then it would be downright, you know, brown. Right. <laughs> but so uh, so there's there's no reason to expect Fino or Manzanilla to to be pale in color that's or light in body. Yeah. Right? And um, uh, but so in order to accommodate uh, you know this kind of you know consumer trend, um, producers began to heavily filter their their wines. Um, so, you know, filtering in wine, it takes out color, but it also takes out aroma and it takes out, you know, flavor and, and, um, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Um, you know, it, oftentimes it makes me think about sake, mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, the difference between namazake and, and, you know, regularly filtered sake. Sure. Um, oftentimes Japanese people don't like namazake. Um, you know, they, they prefer the finesse and the delicacy that, that comes with, uh, you know, with filtration. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, in America, you know, we, or in the West, let's say, uh, you know, we, we think like, 
less manipulation is is better, right? So so we embrace things like namazake, you know. But uh, but I, I I'm not sure that it's necessarily you know this this uh, question of quality. But I think I do think that it severely impacts the character. Um, you know this heavy filtration, uh, you know, which all often you know done like with with activated carbon, and you know, I mean, it's pretty, it's an aggressive filtration, right? Um, you know, this this uh, really changes the character of the wine, and and it it um, or the the exciting thing about seeing a less heavily filtered version is that it it's it has a character that's closer to the one that you find in cask. Oh, okay, okay. And so, so um, you know, Barbadillo started doing this in 1999 uh, with mm-hmm. their Manzanilla Anorama. Um, and recently we've seen a sort of mini proliferation of, of these Anorama bottlings, you know, uh, meaning it does, Anorama doesn't really mean completely unfiltered. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that you have floor, right? So if you can't really bottle it unfiltered because you don't want floor in the bottle. So you have to pass it through a very, very light fil- filter just, to uh, just to remove solids, mm-hmm. that's all. Um, but so so you know if you do this and you know you do this very lightly filtered uh, on Rama bottling, um, you, know, you produce a wine that's deeper in color. It, it has these golden you know kind of greenish you know like uh, you know, hues that 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 you find in, in the wine and cask. Uh, it preserves a lot of its uh, you know original aroma and depth of of you know like depth of flavor. Um, you know, which can surprise many people, uh, you know, because we're, we're trained to think of Manzanilla as this light, uh, you know, this light-bodied, lively wine. And, and then you get, you know, this, this, this one that's, that's full and rich and complex and, you know, has a finish that goes on forever. And you're like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but I find these wines quite exciting. And, you know, in, in, the, last, in the last few years, we've, we've seen, uh, you know, we, we've seen many more of these, uh, you know, Tio Pepe, uh, Mio Gonzalez Bias has, has released a Tio Pepe on Rama. Um, Hidalgo La Gitana has, has, has released a version of their Manzanilla on Rama. Um, you know, certainly this, uh, this, this idea of, of lesser filtration or, um, or less filtration is, is fundamental to, to the philosophy of Equipo Navados, um, you know, with La Labota of Manzanilla and Fino. Oh, um, and also with their side projects, uh, you know, on the market, you see Manzanilla, I think, uh, you know, which is a, a, uh, you know, an on Rama project, uh, you know, by Equipo Navados. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think that uh, that you know these that this type of, of bottling uh, uh, will only increase in the future. Um, it, it's you know these have received tremendous uh, um, you know praise from from uh, critics and consumers, and you know that, that like houses are still releasing them in, in sort of conservative quantities. But I, I think that that we'll we'll see a growth of these soon. And what do you think about that aging? You mentioned that you didn't necessarily think that things needed to be drunk up in three months. What do you, what do you think about the aging? <laughs> yeah, this is a big debate. Um, uh, conventional wisdom says that uh, says that fino and manzanilla should be drunk as soon as possible after bottling. Um, you know, and and and, uh, and and that there there is no point in aging them in bottle that, mm-hmm. that they will only deteriorate. You know, uh, I think that. When you experience some of these wines with some bottle age, even even the filtered versions, you know, I'm not even you know talking about Anorama, just just Fino and Manzanilla in general. Uh, um, you know, I've had you know I've had bottles of Lagita that were you know like back to the 70s, uh, you know, bottled in the 70s, and, and you know old bottles of Innocente, uh, um, and and these these are wonderful. You know, I mean, after after years and years in, in bottle, these these acquire you know this this incredible richness and complexity, and and um, um, you know, I to me, uh, I guess I I see this this whole idea of uh, of you know drinking the wines as as, as soon as possible. Uh, I, I see this as an attempt to preserve the original character, right? So so it's true that if if you want to to experience that you know the character of the wine when it was bottled, if you want to experience that, then yes, you should drink it within a year, um, you know, within a year of bottling. Um, but the thing is that with wine, uh, with most wines of the world, and most great ones, certainly you know, with with the great wines of the world, preserving the initial character is not necessarily what is not necessarily that's not necessarily our goal, right? Sure. I mean, you think about Bordeaux, Bordeaux, Burgundy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, um, you know, Rhone, like and any any you know any of, of the the great wines of the world. Uh, we're totally accustomed to laying them down, and we value these these flavors of maturity and and. Um, you know this character and complexity that that is derived from bottle aging, and to me, it's no different with uh, with Fino and Manzanilla. Um, certainly, the evolution in bottle is different than the evolution in cask, 
but uh, but that's sort of the point, right? And so, so to me, particularly um, wines that have been aged for a long time in cask, so uh, you know, like Manzanilla Passada or or Finos like Innocente that that you know have aged for ten years in in cask. I think that these wines do particularly well in bottle. In fact, I even prefer them like two or three years after bottling than I do when they're first released. Um, it does change the character, um, and you maybe serve them differently. You know, uh, they they do acquire more richness, uh, you know, a more pronounced body. But um, it, it's very much like white burgundy. If, if you think about uh, the arc of aging in in bottle, you know, with with white burgundy and how how you know when when it starts off, uh, when it's first bottled, you taste the wine, and, and the components are sort of disparate, right? You have you have fruit, you have wood, you have acidity. And and they can be harmonious, but they still exist apart from each other, and and it makes the wine feel youthful. As the wine ages, then all of these things integrate together, and they they fuse into this seamless whole. And then the wine develops these inimitable you know, flavors of maturity and and this complexity and depth and and whatnot. And and this is what we love about old white Burgundy, right? Um, with Fino and Manzanilla, you see you see the exact same progression. It doesn't take quite as long. Um, you know, you hold a, you hold one of these things for three or four years, and, and you can see how you know this all this maturity all, all comes together. Um, but it's it's really a wonderful thing. And um, you know, again, going back to Labota, you know, Equipo Navazos, uh, this is another fundamental uh, you know part of their philosophy. Um, they you know they um, put uh, they put bottling dates on you know on on each of their releases, and and then they they they. Uh, they do multiple releases from from the same Solera, so that you can see, uh, you know, and they they encourage you to you know to hold these back, and then you can compare these over time. So they don't do multiple releases of the same number, but they do multiple releases that have a different number. Yes, like a different, of, of a different yeah. number. I mean, for example, like like Fino, you know, uh, um, number seven, you know, was was Fino, but then number fifteen and eighteen were Fino too, uh, bottled you know bottled later and from the and, same Solera. Yeah, exactly. You know, and if you were curious to follow that up in your own studies, I guess you could check their website because it's not always on the bottle like that info, right? Um, it's uh, all of the info is on on the 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 back labels in Spain. Uh, I'm not sure about the you know, m- maybe some of that some some of the info gets lost you know when, once it comes over here. But uh, but yeah, certainly you, you can look at it on, on their website. Because I think it's more about Jorge Posada on the back label <laughs> yeah, here. I yeah. don't know if it's, it's just um, uh, trying to appeal to the American market or uh, uh, we can take that out later. <laughs> hey, but so what's the difference in aging between Fino and Oloroso? Are Oloroso also something that you put down in the bottle for a while after you get a bottle? Well, um, you know, I've I've tasted uh, some very old examples, but um, uh, or you know, b- examples that were bottled a long time ago. Um, you know, for decades and decades, uh, um, I I don't see as much of an advantage. Um, you know, Oloroso ages. Uh, I mean, it acquires you know mature flavors in the cask. Yeah, and and it does you know it does change in the bottle, but uh, not always very predictably, and not always for the better. Uh, sometimes, um, but but I think that. Yeah, I think that there's there's less of a reward, you know, in 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 putting these wines down than, than there is for you know biologically aged wines because it's already been aged oxidatively yeah. as opposed to reductively. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, is is are these two things uh, roughly the same in popularity in the market, or are we seeing consumers gravitate towards Fino? Are we seeing consumers gravitate towards Oloroso? What are what are people tending to like these days? Oh, certainly Fino and Manzanilla. Is that true? I think yes. Um, I'm. Well, especially in Spain, when when you look at Spain, Manzanilla is is by far the you know the, the largest category, and and biologically aged wines. So that means wines that are aged under floor. So that's Fino and Manzanilla. I mean, they they account for some ridiculous proportion of the market. Is that true? It's, yeah, yeah. It's the, the 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 vast majority of of the Spanish market. You know, abroad, um, you know, it's, it's slightly less, but you certainly see amongst let's let's say amongst fine sherry, right? So so yeah. let, let's put aside you know bulk sherry and supermarket sherry and and you know. Um, the green you know, bottle one, yeah, this, this this kind of thing. Yeah. But but when when you talk about the sherry, you know that 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 you and I drink, and that you know that that uh, that is gaining popularity among connoisseurs, um, I think you definitely see a preference for Fino and Manzanilla. I see. Um, it's it's the easiest to drink. It's the most compatible with food. It's um, you know it's the the lowest in alcohol. It's the least expensive, and so you know all of this is is sort of an advantage. Sometimes I see the VORS like kind of super old age Amontillado 
uh, wines mm. on the market, and they seem to have a lot of prestige and often, you know, fairly high price for sherry, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and they taste great, but I, I have a sense that they're so um, reduced in a way that, like, you might reduce a balsamic vinegar or you might reduce a sauce that you were cooking. It's so complex. It's almost, for my pal, a little bit uh, tough to drink uh, a lot of. Do you have that same issue? And if you did, how would you go about approaching it? I mean, how would you pair that kind of wine with food? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, these wines can get very intense uh, as they age. And, you know, some of, the, some of these wines, you know, can be 70 or 80 years old and and uh, they become very concentrated and, and very complex. Um, yeah, typically, you know, you, you, you drink a very small glass of these you know, at, at, at one time. Um, you know, I, I like to, uh, you know, have a bottle of very old Amontillado or Palo Cortado, you know, like left open at home and, and you know, even leave it there for a couple of weeks and just, you know, every so often just take, take a little sip. And like you might a Madeira, for sure, instance. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, um, because these wines are so complex and, and uh, you know, and so long on the palate and, and just really so intense, uh, it's true that they, they uh, you know, they, they can be enjoyed on their own and they can be a little bit overwhelming uh, with, with food. But, uh, you know, but sometimes, um, you know, savvy sommeliers and and you know chefs can can surprise you can pull things out yeah yeah um um you know just the other night uh you know the spotted pig uh, april bloomfield um made this uh this terrific uh this terrific pork with uh with a maple syrup glaze Uh and uh and so the skin became all candied and and just really wonderful and um, you know, we we had that against, uh, or we 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 had that with uh, with Lobota number thirty seven, which which is an Amontillado that a uh, very old Amontillado that that hasn't been released yet, but uh, but that that's a terrific wine, and and this is really one of the the great wine pairings, you know, that that I've had. Really recently. came together. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it really demonstrated. Uh, um, you know, we we often think about Fino and Manzanilla with food. I mean, this is easy. You know, this is this is this is obvious. But uh, you know, with with Amontillado, Palo Cortado, Oloroso. Um, you know, these are terrific food wines too, and and um, and I think this was this was a great illustration of, of that. And we seem to see a sherry renaissance in this country in cities like New York. Are, are, is there also a sherry renaissance going on in other countries that aren't Spain? Or, I mean, if I go to Japan, if I go to Norway, if I go to Canada, am I going to see sherry in, in restaurants? Um, I think that there is. Uh, certainly London is the undisputed capital of, of sherry outside of Spain. Um you know, I, I think you know even New York has a little bit of catching up to do. You know, when, uh, um, I mean, L- London is is terrific when you see uh, you know the proliferation of sherry bars and, and tapas bars and and this whole excitement about sherry. Um, but you know, I mean, you know, New York is uh, you know New York is 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 doing well in its own right too. Um, um, you have a lot of interest, uh, you know, worldwide. Certainly, Scandinavia. Um, certainly, in Japan. Um, supposedly, I've never been there, but supposedly, uh, the largest sherry bar is, is in Japan, or, or the bar that serves the most sherries you know, <laughs> at any given time. Um, so that would be exciting to see. Um, you know, Singapore. Uh, you know, my friends there are you know crazy about sherry. Um, you're seeing, uh, yeah, you're seeing a, a, a great interest in sherry among wine connoisseurs all around the world, and. And I think it comes it comes at a very good time. You know, the uh, the sherry industry has been depressed for a very long time. We've had you know bodegas that uh, that have disappeared or that are on the verge of disappearing, and and I think this is still a danger. And so you know this this revival of revival of interest in fine sherry is is something that's that's very important. One thing that you pointed out along with a couple other people was was how well sherry went with Chinese food. Is that something that you find yourself uh, frequently doing? Yeah, I, I like uh, I, I mean, sherry is is incredibly versatile. You know, it's just because of its flavors. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, about the flavors of, of floor aging, and and that that's that's uh, you know that certainly works. But also with oxidatively aged wines, um, for whatever reason, you know these uh, this this set of flavors um, is also terrifically versatile at, at the table. And so, so, you know, with, with exotic flavors, with, uh, you know, um, you know, with East Asian flavors, uh, oftentimes, I mean, there, there's, you know, there's really no better wine than sherry to, to accommodate, you know, the, the kind of complexity and, uh, you know, of the food itself. So where you might, uh, be kind of accustomed to reaching for a beer, uh, maybe instead reach for a manzanilla. Sure. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So uh, let me ask you, um, you know, you, 
you arranged some events recently in New York. How did that come about, and and how did it play out? What was the response like? <laughs> yeah, just uh, just this past week, uh, you know, we've had uh, we've had the first Sherry Fest here in New York, which uh, which was a a five day event. Um, I had initially conceived this as a sort of essentially an extravagant book launch party. Uh-huh. Okay. We'll go on. So, uh, Bacchanal book launch. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, I, I had, uh, I, I had written this book, uh, you know, with my friend Jesus Barquin and, um, and I was planning to release it here in the United States and, and I wanted to do something with Sherry. Uh, I wanted, um, you know, I wanted to, to have some sort of event and to, and I wanted to bring the, the, you know, the bodegas over and and let them see how excited we we are in New York about about Sherry. And, and frankly, I don't think they a lot of them have been over. I mean, maybe with the exception of Hidalgo yeah. or no, it, it's it's true. You know, there 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 are a handful of them that travel widely in the United States, but but many of them, you know, have have never been here. And and um, you know, and so I, I really wanted them to you know to to see the passion that that people have for Sherry here. And so, uh, so I, I, I had conceived a, uh, you know, a large tasting, you know, a large industry style tasting okay. uh, where, where, you know, bodegas could, you know, show their wines and, and, you know, people could walk around tasting wines. And so, uh, you know, that was great. But then also then I thought, well, you know, if you're bringing people all the way across the ocean, um, maybe, you know, we should do some other things too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, I partnered with, uh, with my friend Rosemary Gray. Um, who is an exceptional woman? Um, Super and, smart. Yeah, she uh, she um, was was a huge help in in putting all of this together, and and you know we um, so we you know, we we really partnered in in uh, you know putting together uh, this whole Sherry Fest thing. Um, we uh, we decided that um, you know we wanted to do do some seminars, um, you know, and be able to taste wine in in a more intimate setting, you know, not, not this huge tasting, but, uh, but, you know, in a more focused and, and more detailed way. So, so we, we organized several seminars on, on various topics. Uh, but then also, you know, sherry always shows its best with food. Um, and in the sherry region, you know, you always drink sherry with food. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very much tied to, tied to eating. Um, and so, so we wanted to partner with, uh, you know, with some restaurants and, and do some sherry dinners as, as well. And especially since, you know, bodega representatives are here, um, it's a good chance for, for the public to, you know, to really meet these people and engage with them. So, so in the end, it, it ballooned into this huge extravaganza <laughs> where... It was a matter of you guys couldn't pick the one restaurant, so you did it at, at five <laughs> or six? Is that how it, how it went? Maybe, maybe. We, you know, we were excited uh to involve as many people in the wine community as possible. Sure, um, which yeah. doesn't always happen. I mean, it's rare to get multiple restaurant participation in any one. I mean, I guess Paul did it with Riesling, but it's hard yeah. in general. It's true. It's true. Yeah, um, but you know, because because I see so much enthusiasm for sherry, you know, in, yeah. in this city, I, I wanted to wanted to open it up to everybody and really get everybody involved. So we ended up. Uh, so so we did. Uh, you know, have this this grand tasting. Um, which which was tremendous. Uh, um, you know, we had it at, at the Ace Hotel, uh, and um, you know there were probably four hundred people that that came through there. Seems like a lot. I mean, a couple of years ago, sure. I think might have been a different uh, proposition to yeah, get perhaps, uh, yeah. a number of people to a sherry tasting mm-hmm. in New York. I don't know. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I I don't know for sure, but uh, I, I would wager that this was easily the largest sherry event ever held in the United States. Uh huh. Um, you know, at, at this, at this tasting, you know, we had 20 bodegas represented, uh, we were pouring about 150 different cherries. And so this was, this was an extraordinary opportunity, you know, for, for people just, you know, taste, uh, taste a whole lot of different wines. Yeah. You don't get a chance to really bang it out on one day, like sure. get comparative like yeah. that. Yeah. And there was some stuff you don't always see as it's well, true. I think. It's true. Yeah. And some, some wines that, uh, that were shown there for the very first time in, in the United States, um, you know, like the Palmas of Gonzalez Bias or. I thought those were um, great. Yeah. Terrific wines, you know, and, and. Uh, the like, Dos. Yeah. Like the two. Oh, oh man. 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 Unbelievable. Hidden. Yeah. And uh, like Fino Perdido from Sanchez Romate, uh, you know, this is a wine yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that uh, you know, uh, first time, you know, first time being shown in, in the U.S. And so that, that was very exciting. Um, we ended up doing uh, four different seminars, um, you know, twenty to thirty people uh, each, and and those were those were terrific. And people then, turned out, yeah, yeah, turn yeah, out. yeah. It was it was it was it was a lot of fun. Any hecklers? Um, <laughs> not too many. No, we uh, we we barred them at the door. 
but um, you know, we did. Uh, we ended up doing eight different sherry dinners. Wow! Over three nights, and that was really exciting. You know, uh, at a wide variety of restaurants. Uh, you How know, many times did she eat dinner in one night? <laughs> well, we we split up. Oh, okay, and, yeah, okay. Yeah, so so uh, yeah, Rosemary assigned us to different restaurants. Like, Don't eat lunch because you got three dinners coming up. <laughs> exactly. But that that was tremendous, and and um, you know I think the the producers really enjoyed it. You know I, I think the guests enjoyed the, you know enjoyed these dinners, and and um, and so that was great. And another component of of Sherry Fest that I was really proud of. Um, was uh, on Saturday to kick off the whole event. Uh, you know, retail, you know, wine wine shops in 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 New York. Uh, you know, they they typically do Saturday tastings. Sure, at, yeah, at their stores and and so uh, you know, on the Saturday of Sherry Fest, um, we had thirty three stores across Manhattan and Brooklyn all pouring sherry on Saturday afternoon. I I don't even know of thirty three retail stores <laughs> like myself personally. I mean, I'm sure they exist. I just yeah, you know, um, I go to my few and then. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, it, it was extraordinary. Um, you know, I mean, again, you know, it, it was this idea of involving, uh, you know, involving the wine community, the community. And, yeah, trying. And it to seems us. like they responded to the call, right? Yeah, we we were really, really people are talking happy about, about that. Yeah, um, and so I mean, I, I I can't, you know, I can't think of of any other time when you know the the wine community all came together to, to promote a specific wine like that before, and um, and so so I you know I I, I was very pleased with that. I mean, the analogy for me would be like, we are the world. Like, remember when they all, like, you know, hey, it's yeah. Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson's here and the guys from Three's Company, you know? Totally. I mean, you know, it had that vibe to it. Yeah. I mean, in a good way. I yeah. mean, it was a good, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you also published a book and that came out and you kind of talked about the Sherry Fest being kind of a, a book party. Uh, how did how did that project get started and, and where did it lead you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, so I I I, uh, I had you know had this idea of, of publishing a sherry book for for quite a while. Um, I, I began working on it uh, last year in in the spring of, of two thousand eleven, and you know I mean I, I, at that point uh, I had it pretty much uh, you know, organized in my head, so I was able to to bang it out you know, very fairly quickly. But uh, but You're of like course, the Jack Kerouac of uh, <laughs> of sherry books. Like, maybe, just put in front of a yeah. typewriter; it'll be done in twenty two hours. Yeah, maybe not that quickly. But uh, but um, you know, certainly, I mean, it, it it relied on a lot of previous you know, um, previous organizational work. Because you know, you've been to the area several times, the area yeah, production. I um, yeah, I've been traveling in Jerez since nineteen ninety eight, and uh, yeah, I've been going down there regularly. Um, and you know, it's an area of the world that that, that I particularly love. What do you think drew you to there originally, and what keeps you going back? Well, uh, um, you know, in the beginning, it was really it was really about the wine. I, um, you know, unlike many wine drinkers, I latched onto sherry quite early in my wine drinking career, and and I thought this wine was wonderful. And uh, so, um, you know, when I started traveling in Spanish wine regions, I, I I really made it a point to go down to Jerez, and and that only reinforced my love of sherry and and. Um, you know, and down so there. there's no girl involved. I was <laughs> expecting a girl story. Not yet. No. <laughs> there was this fantastically beautiful gypsy, uh, yeah. and she gave me a tour of three bodegas. Uh, well, you know, we we can. I think up. you should embellish your story. Actually, <laughs> I think you should just make stuff up. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, perhaps. But um, you know, one one thing that uh, that I think you know many consumers don't realize is that the the body of literature um, you know surrounding sherry is surprisingly vast and not only in Spanish uh, but in English as well um, there you know there there were, were many books uh, you know in in the 19th and you know in the first half of the 20th century uh, you know about sherry I mean sherry was was uh, you know a, a very you know a very important part of the wine world and and an object of serious study Um you know, you have uh, uh, you know all the way back to you know Henry Vizzatelli, uh, you know wrote his facts about sherry in 1878, 1876, uh, you know, which which was a tremendous book. Uh, you know, I mean, um, uh, you know, certainly for the time, but uh, but even now, uh, I think that's uh, the one you gave me, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's a great book. Yeah, it's uh, you know even today it's a, it's a wonderful book to read. Um, you know, later, uh, you know, Andre Simon, you know, was writing in, in, in the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, after him, H. Warner Allen, uh, um, you know, wrote terrific things. Um, you know, the, the two, uh, the two Bibles of, you know, of, of, uh, English language, uh, Sherry books, uh, 
um, were uh, Julian Jeffs, um, you know, who who wrote his book Sherry uh, first in in 1961, and and it's been revised several times, uh, and um, um, Manuel Gonzalez Gordon, uh, who who uh, um, wrote uh, a book called Sherry the Noble Wine, um, which was translated into English in 1972. But um, you know the problem uh, the problem now is that uh, we haven't seen much written about Sherry for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true that uh, last year uh, Christopher Field and, and Javier Hidalgo uh, wrote a book about Manzanilla, uh, which was published in the UK. Um, but but never never here in, in, in the U.S. Uh, and it's you know it's only about Manzanilla. Um, the Consejo Reguladora published a, a book uh, called The Big Book of Sherry, which is excellent. But uh, unless you go and visit the Consejo in Jerez, uh, you know you, it's doubtful that you're going to find it. Um, Julian Jeff's book, uh, the fifth edition of Julian Jeff's book, was was published in in 2006. Okay, but it was a very short run. And so today, it's virtually impossible to find. And even if you do find it, it's sure to cost you several hundred dollars. Is that true? So, um, so that's not very practical at all. Um, you know, so so uh, you know, I, I thought that it was really time for for a new Sherry book, and and I wanted to be the one to write it. So, um, you know, the the result is that our book is, you know, as far as I know, our book is the the first entirely new Sherry book to be published in the United States uh, since 1988 when, uh, you know, in, in 88, uh, Jan Reed published, uh, uh, you know, Sherry and the Sherry Bodegas. And, and um, you know, since then, uh, um, there, there really hasn't been anything that, that's been entirely new. So not a new edition, but somebody exactly. starting yeah, from yeah, scratch. Original, yeah, original writing, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, tremendously pleased uh, to be able to release the book now. And, and how did you organize it? Well, so it's a um, so as I said, you know, I, I partnered uh, with with my friend uh, Jesus Barquin, who who's is, like a criminal professor of some kind, right? He is, yeah. He's not in, uh, you know, his uh, he's not a full he's not full time in wine. Um, he is uh, he is the director of the Institute of of Criminal Law at the University of Granada, but he's a native of Andalusia and a lifelong, uh, you know. Sherry lover and connoisseur, um, regarded widely in the region as as, uh, as one of the greatest sherry experts alive today. Um, he is also the uh, the founder of Equipo Navados. Oh, know, okay. You know who who makes the La Bota series of of, of sherries. Um, and uh, and he's a writer. You know he he writes for uh, most notably uh, for the World of Fine Wine and uh, and for El Mundo uh, in Spain. Um. But so uh, so I, I had come up with this idea of um, you know of writing a sherry book and and so uh, you know I told him about it because you know he's he's my friend and and uh, um, and he said you know yeah this this is great you know uh, um, you know we need a sherry book I think you're a great person to write it and you know any any help that uh, I can give you I'm ha- happy to do so but <laughs> he said uh, you know I've been thinking of writing a sherry book too and my problem is that uh, that. My, you know, affiliation with Equipo Navados has um, created this conflict of interest when it comes to speaking about other producers. So he proposed uh, a collaboration between us of, um, of, you know, really the two of us talking about Sherry together. And then the section that talks about individual producers, uh, I would write it entirely on my own. Oh, okay. Um, so you know, and and make this very clear, so so that uh, you know, so so that it removes this, you know, this conflict. So that's what we ended up doing. Um, so the book is is divided into two parts, uh, roughly. Um, you know, the first part, uh, you know, talks about uh, talks about everything about sherry. It talks about history. It talks about production. It uh, you know talks about our ideas on various topics within sherry. Um, and 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 so that uh, that part of the book we collaborated on. Um, the second part of the book is uh, is bodega profiles, um, you know, really sort of ChampagneGuide.net style, you know, um, um, which is some uh, a website that you uh, yeah, it's it's my champagne, yeah, it's my my, my online you know champagne site. Um, you know, I, I really wanted to do uh, do these in depth producer profiles, um, you know, on. It, even when you look at old books, you don't really see a lot about individual producers, and and uh, and I get a lot of questions about these, and you know these are things that that you know consumers consumers are looking for because so. they want to know what's good. 
right? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I want and, to know what the style is, and also you know just also just some some background on on these producers, on the and, guy, yeah, and just you know to to bring them to life. Um, so so that that constitutes the second part of the book, uh, you know, profile about thirty bodegas in in there, uh, um, and uh, and we also wanted to include uh, you know not just not just uh, the sherry region, but we wanted to include Montilla as well. And this is something that you know could be a little controversial. Um, you know, Montilla is not typically included in in twentieth century books. On what Montier. is Montilla? If someone doesn't know, so Montilla is an appellation that uh, is in Andalusia. It's in the same province, but it's uh, much farther inland. Uh, it takes you a few hours to drive there. Um, it makes uh, it makes wines in a similar style to sherry, but from an enti- entirely different grape. Uh, the grape there is Pedro Jimenez. And it's, uh, it's, you know, we know from, from the Sherry region, you know, we think of Pedro Jimenez as a, uh, as a, a grape to make sweet wines. And they do make, make sweet wines in, in Montilla, but they also use this grape to make dry wines. And, uh, and, and they, they use the same sort of names for the style. So Fino, Amontillado, Oloroso, um, you know, these things. Um, historically, the two regions have been, um, have been closely intertwined. Uh, you know, Prior to the 20th century, uh, Montilla was often considered to be a style of sherry. Uh, sherry houses would source grapes from there, uh, you know, freely, and and um, you know, you even see old bottles, you know, that say like, uh, you know, from the sherry region and from sherry houses, you know, that say Montilla Fino or, or you know, things like this. Um, um, since you know, since the early 20th century, uh, um, these two two regions have split and so they are entirely different denominations you know appellations today but uh the sherry region still continues to import pedro jimenez from montilla um even you know i mean even today um so so all of this you know i mean through all this you you can see how how these these two regions have been closely linked and and we thought that it it was uh it was very interesting and important, you know, to to discuss these these two regions uh, in conjunction uh, with each other. So, um, so we decided to include Montilla in in our book. Um, you know, we have a, a chapter about about Montilla, and then also in in the producer section. You know, I, I profile uh, you know several of the of the most notable bodegas there. But I didn't see any Montilla producers at the the grand tasting you did. Is that something that maybe is down the line, or was there some reason why you didn't have them? Yeah, that that was deliberate. In fact, uh, um, so Sherry Fest. Uh, um, in fact, even though it was conceived as as my book launch party, <laughs> um, it it ended up being an entirely different entity. Um, you know, not related to my book, uh, but coinciding, you know, uh, with with the timing of, of the release of my book. But but Sherry Fest was was ultimately sponsored by the Consejo Regulador. Oh, okay, um, okay. And you know, through through wines from Spain, which is a division of the Spanish Trade Commission. Um, so, uh, you know, with with these official sponsors, um, you know, and particularly the the Consejo Regulador of Jerez, you know, of the Sherry region, um, you know. Because they were sponsoring it, we we agreed that uh, that it would focus exclusively on sherry and, and not on Montilla. Oh, okay, okay. Mm. Pay to play. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Around. Well, maybe in the future, you know, so there'll be a Montilla tasting. Who knows? Yeah, I, I would love to. I mean, I think that uh, you know these wines uh, deserve more attention, um, particularly the dry styles. You know, and and uh, um, you know there there are several good producers that are available here in in. In the U.S., I wonder if you might name them just because the buyers didn't get a chance to try them at the sure, recent sure, tasting. Yeah, I, I think uh, um, you know the the three most notable producers uh, you know in Montilla are uh, Perez Parquero, um, Albear, and Toro Albala, and all th- all three of those are being imported here to to the United States. Um, there's another producer that has recently uh, started um, you know being imported uh, called Bodegas Robles, who um, um, you know who you're starting to see in in in, in wine stores. Uh, uh, Francisco Robles is very devoted to to organic viticulture, and so that that makes his his wines you know a little bit unusual. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, I mean, Montilla certainly isn't uh, you know as widely known you know, here in in this country, but uh, but there's the opportunity to taste these wines too. What do you think is going to happen uh, subsequently? Uh, I guess more with the American focus here, you know, looking from this shore, what's going to happen with Sherry coming up in the next couple of years? I feel like there's sort of been an explosion of interest in the last couple of years. What's going to happen coming up? Well, I think that uh, I certainly think and hope that uh, the appreciation of, of Sherry is, is going to is going to rise among among wine connoisseurs and wine consumers. So, um 
I don't think that sherry will ever be a a you know kind of mass market wine, or or it, or that it will ever be be as popular you know in in the sort of general public you know as as it might have been in you know the eighteen seventies. And and why not? Well, uh, sherry is a very particular beverage. It's uh, um, you know we talked about uh, how we think of wine today in terms of fruit, and sherry is is as far removed from fruit as as you know you, you can get. Um, um, you know, I, I think that that uh, sherry is is oftentimes a it, it's it's a delicious wine, but yeah. uh, but it can often be a, a difficult wine to understand, and it has to be placed in the proper context, and and so in that sense, you know, maybe it's a little bit high maintenance. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, among uh, among people who are very deeply interested in wine, um, their uh, sherry has has a tremendous appeal. And I think that that the appreciation of fine sherry is is going to grow. You know, when we talk about sherry, I think uh, more and more we we have to divide it into into two sort of groups, right? There is, you know, sherry is on one hand, sherry is is uh, you know the the mass market kind of bulk sweetened wines, you know, these mediums and creams and you know these kind of supermarket wines. Um, and then you know on the other hand, there's this small sector of wines that that we're interested in, you know, that are largely dry, not all. There are some great sweet wines as well, and even some great sweetened wines as well, but uh, but mostly dry and uh, you know wines of very high quality and 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 I think that that the the former category, you know, the the kind of supermarket category, is going to decline, and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, um, and the but you know I, I think that this smaller sector is going to grow. Um, it may not be enough to sustain the the industry. Um, you know, they, they still rely a lot on, on, uh, you know, bulk sales, but, um, you know, and so, so it, it's entirely possible that the industry as a whole may continue to decline. But I think that, that the, the category of really fine wines is, is going to increase and appreciation for it, uh, you know, around the world is, is certainly going to increase. So a lot of times things, uh, that seem to have caught, uh, the attention of consumers in, in the States, uh, tend to throw around the terroir word like that comes up a lot where people feel like it's an expressive of one one site maybe mm-hmm. the soul of mm-hmm. one grower tends to get mythologized you know brought up at least mm-hmm. um, how does terroir and the idea we have of terroir or several ideas we have of terroir play into the sherry model uh, what's what are the relationships there yeah this becomes very complex i think that in the modern day you know we have uh I mean, we meaning, uh, you know, not just consumers, but, you know, producers and just, uh, you know, just as, as a wine community. Um, we have have defined sherry much more by the process of how it's made than the, the place where it's grown. Oh, I see. And to me, this is a mistake. And, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we say this, you know, in, in no uncertain terms in, in our book, um, we, well, one of the, uh, you know, I think one of the, the strong points of our book is that we are, are really trying to reintroduce the idea of, of the vineyard back into the dialogue of Sherry, um, in, you know, whatever small way that we can. Is that the dialogue of consumers or the dialogue of producers? Both. Both. Just, uh, you know, we want, uh, um, um, we want, we want sherry to to be to be linked in a closer way to to the vineyards. Um, this is not a new idea. Uh, in in the past, uh, um, so the sherry region is is divided into these pagos, um, which are which are sort of vineyard districts, um, and they they all have names. Uh, um, you know, depending on whom you believe, uh, there could be anywhere between one hundred and one hundred and fifty of these things. And um, you know, in the past, like a hundred years ago, uh, um, these were just—I mean, these were these were known. You know, if you were learning about wine, uh, you would learn the classified gross of Bordeaux, you would learn the Grand and Premier Cruz of Burgundy, and you would learn about the Pagos of Jerez. And um, you know, I mean, the, these these vineyards have been classified, uh, you know, for several hundred years. Um, um, you know, in books all the way up until the 1960s, uh, 1970s, uh, um, you know, they would still feature maps of the Pagos and, and, uh, um, um, and, and, you know, people would talk about vineyards, uh, you know, with sherry, just like, uh, just like they do in any other wine. Uh, in the last 40 years, this has almost completely vanished. So, uh, so, you know, today we really focus almost exclusively on process and, um, 
you know, I I don't think that this means that we should uh, make all sherry, you know, single vineyard wine. I mean, that that's that's not really necessary. But I think that uh, it's important to remember that sherry comes from the vineyards and and to, and to think about these places and and then you know in turn like you know perhaps explore what what are the different characteristics of these places and how you know wh- how 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 does one vineyard different differ from another and why are some vineyards more famous than others why have some vineyards been renowned for their wines for centuries you know there's there must be a reason right um i mean certainly terroir terroir in the sense of you know in 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 uh, the sense of the vineyard and you know the the, the way that we use the word with uh, you know, with other wines uh, in in the sense of origin of, of place this still plays a role in in sherry um you know i mean soil certainly is fundamental um the albariza soil which is this very uh, this very calcareous uh, you know crumb, crumbly soil um, um, that all the finest vineyards are are you know grown on um you know this this uh, is fundamental to the character of of the wine um and uh, climate, you know, and all these other factors of, of terroir. I mean, this this all plays a role in in the vineyards. So. Um, but uh, also with sherry, what makes it even more complex is that when you talk about terroir, you really talk about two things. You talk about terroir of the vineyard and the terroir of the bodega. Um, you know, terroir of the vineyard, we know. Uh, terroir of of the bodega, it's. I mean, all all cellars uh, have some sort of terroir characteristics, you know, to to some extent, right? Uh, um, you know, in in northern Europe, uh, you know, we liked uh, we like uh, you know cellars that are below ground that maintain a high humidity and low temperature and all this. I mean, that's that's terroir, right? Um, with with the maturation of sherry, uh, you see, I, I think, partially because the floor is so particular, um, because the floor is a living organism, and and you know it it. Uh, it lives and grows and evolves. Uh, um, and and then also because sherry is aged in barrel for such a long time, um, you, you see the effects of, of, dif- of different places, you know, uh, um, like in the wines themselves. So, so you can take the exact same wine and mature it in Jerez, or, you know, you can take a part of it and mature it in Sanlúcar, which is you know, a 20 minute drive away uh, on the coast. And they, the, that exact same wine will evolve completely differently. I see. And, and create, you know, create entirely different wines. It's like city mouse, country mouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and uh, you know, even uh, um, you know, finer distinctions. Uh, you know, there uh, from from one bodega building to another, you can see like you know differences in in the growth of floor and in, in the development of the wines. And cellar masters will even say like you know, from one section of, bo- of the bodega to another, like one you know one corner might have higher humidity, or you know another corner might have you know more like a higher temperature or more exposure to sun or something. Uh, um, so, so the place where where sherry is matured, uh, you know, has has a profound effect on on the wine, and and that certainly must be taken into account too. So, if someone wanted to learn more about sherry, uh, where where should they start in terms of purchasing a bottle or two? What what might they be looking for if they didn't know a lot but they wanted to dive in? Well, uh, you know, when you talk about sherry, uh, or let let's say dry sherry. Right, so um, I mean, you know, sweet styles like uh, you know, Muscatel and Peter Jimenez are wonderful. But but if we talk about dry sherry, uh, you can divide it essentially into two broad groups. There's uh, which we talked about before. Um, you know, it's it's uh, there's Fino, which is uh, wine that's aged under floor, and there's Oloroso, which is wine that is not. And I think it's useful to maybe get a bottle of each and and you know and see how radically different these these wines are. Um, you know, uh, Manzanilla is essentially, um, you know, it, it's a wine that's very much like Fino, uh, but the difference is that it's matured in San Lucar, so it's matured by the sea. Uh, Fino, is, you know, comes from farther inland, uh, typically. Um, but, uh, um, you know, you, I mean, there, there's an array of, of wonderful examples, uh, you know, uh, uh, Manzanilla, you know, certainly something like Hidalgo La Gitana, you know, or Arguezo San Leon uh, would be a great place to start. Um, you know, really classical examples of, of modern Manzanilla. Um, you know, with Fino, uh, you know, you have things like El Maestro Sierra you know, or Gutierrez Colosia from uh, from El Puerto, which is uh, you know another town uh, um, on the Bay of Cadiz. Um, or, I mean, there are more complex examples of Fino, like like Valdespino Innocente or Hidalgo La Panesa. But I think that maybe those aren't really good place to start i think that that uh, you know younger wines are, are maybe more appropriate um but 
you know these these are these are fairly readily available and they're not that expensive. Uh, you, you can buy them and you know drink them uh, you know with a meal, and and um, you know just see how how they how they pair with food. Um, you know with with oloroso, um, I think they're because because we have such a focus on on fino and manzanilla there i think there we have more examples in in the marketplace but still you can find some excellent olorosos you know like like anything from lustau you know would would be a, you know be a nice place to start um i particularly like this oloroso from gutierrez colosia called sangre y trabajadero um but you know oloroso is is a, a fundamentally different wine it's uh, it's richer um it's larger in body it um it in fact i think that even though it's made from a white grape, you can really treat it like a red wine. In in the region itself, uh, um, you know, Oloroso is is often paired with with red meats, uh, with grilled meats, with game, uh, you know, this sort of thing, and and it's it's wonderful. Um, you know, its its body and its power, uh, you know, really, um, you know, uh, re- really complements this type of thing. You know? And especially, you know, in this season, like fall, winter, um, um, you know, these these richer wines can can be terrific at the table. And where should people go about purchasing your book if they had an interest to read more? So, um, yeah, my book, uh, you know, which is titled Sherry, Mancinia, and Montilla, it's available on on my website, which is uh, sherryguide.net. Oh, okay. And that's the the primary place uh, where where you can obtain it. Um, it retails for twenty nine ninety five. Um, it's a hardcover book, uh, you know, two hundred seventy pages. Um, you can also uh, buy it uh, uh, for now. You know there there are there are a handful of wine stores in in New York City. Um, you know such as Crush, uh, Chamber Street, Astor, um, Sixty Seven Wine. Uh, you know where 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 you can buy the book as well. Um, and uh, and it's likely that uh, there, you know there there will be other wine shops across the country. Uh, you know where you know who who will also sell the book. But the primary place to buy it is is on the website uh, SherryGuide.net. And um, and then also you know, I'm I'm trying to to put up some other info. Uh, about sherry, you know, on, on the website, you know, some photos, hopefully some videos, uh, and and you know, just uh, just uh, some some you know some information to to you know just make the site make the site interesting. Peter, thanks so much for sharing your insights with us today. Thanks, Levy. I really appreciate it. Peter Leem is the author of the new book Sherry, Manzanilla, and Mantilla, as well as one of the co-conspirators in the Great Sherry Fest. A wonderful uh, selection of events highlighting sherry that recently happened in New York City. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap, are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.